Welcome to the Practice Brave Podcast. I am the host, Brianna Battles, founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism and CEO of Everyday Battles. I'm a career strength and conditioning coach, entrepreneur, mom of two wild little boys, and a lifelong athlete. I believe that athleticism does not end when motherhood begins, and this podcast is dedicated to coaching you by providing meaningful conversations, insights, and interview topics related to fitness, mindset, parenting, and of course, all the nuances of pregnancy and postpartum. From expert interviews to engaging conversations and reflections, this podcast is your trustworthy, relatable resource for learning how to practice brave through every season in your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Practice Brave podcast. Today I am recording in South Dakota with my sister who is officially one week postpartum. If you have followed Instagram for a while or listened to a recent episode of the Practice Brave podcast, you know that we recorded a podcast when she was in labor at the hospital. And now about a week later, I'm here and we're hanging out. She's in the trenches of early postpartum and I thought it would be great to do a follow-up episode with her. So Desiree, how you doing? Doing okay. She says that like mid nursing, like her baby Theo is, uh, is, is nursing right now. So if you hear an interruption or something awkward happens, we apologize in advance, but like, sorry, not sorry. (laughs) It's part of it. So we recorded a podcast in the hospital and that was about 12 hours before you actually had him. So what did the next ish? Yeah. What did the next 12 hours look like for you? How was your labor and how was your delivery? Um, well, when I was doing the podcast, I was kind of just starting to have some mild contractions. And after, uh, we wrapped that up, it started to get a little stronger, um, but still manageable. And at some point I feel like I completely lost track of time and space and went into some sort of weird zone because there was just a lot of pain, obviously. Um, my plan if able was to kind of labor unmedicated so that I could still move around as much as possible. And I figured that I would eventually get an epidural and that all did happen. But by the time I, you know, had stated, you know, this, I I really want one, you know, it takes another hour or so before it's actually placed. And then another like 20 minutes before then it actually, you know, kind of takes effect for, for taking away that pain. So when all was said and done, by the time I was actually being placed, I was already dilated to a nine, um, which I was shocked at, but also kind of impressed with myself that I kind of made it that far along. Um, I didn't, wasn't trying to progress that far <laughs> without it, but that's um, just how it kind of went down. And uh, once it was placed, I remember wondering like why I didn't immediately feel better yet and why I was still having, you know, such bad contractions and wondering like, am I going to make it? Like, am I, am I just going to push this baby out before it even kind of takes impact? Uh, but it eventually did. And I was able to kind of get a little bit of reprieve and actually form full sentences at that point. So within 15 minutes of the epidural kind of kicking in, maybe even less, it was time to start pushing because I was at a 10 at that point. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And then just for reference, if you have not listened to the previous podcast or seen me mention this on social media, her water broke 
at 37 weeks pregnant. Exactly. So this was her first lesson in mom life, kind of preparing you for what you can't prepare for. So this was all like really unexpected. Her hospital bag wasn't packed just yet. She was still going to be going to work and just really kind of caught off guard by the whole thing. So for everything to progress relatively quickly, I think that was something that really threw my very routine, organized, try to plan all the things sister through it. (laughs) Yeah, I I had to have my husband finish packing my hospital that I kind of get at least started it but he had to FaceTime me and I tell him like what extra stuff to grab to include my work laptop since I was not quite done organizing everything there obviously it had been you know in talks with my supervisors to kind of take over my duties but I ended up working on my work laptop for the first two hours or so that I was in the hospital kind of before I started to feel contractions yet trying to get everything done. So it was definitely a little frantic. Yeah. That's uh, being a working mom in America, I guess, right? Is going to the freaking hospital with your laptop to like, oh, got to finish this. Yeah. I remember I was feeling like more stressed about that than the fact that I was, you know, about to have a baby. Like I couldn't even fully wrap my mind around that that was going to happen because it was just like, oh my gosh, what do I have to do before this happens right okay. I'm I thought I had more time I don't have more time like I have it's hours <laughs> I have your hours to get everything together and that was very overwhelming so I felt a lot better once once I got to a place where I could feel good with my work status and oh god and it like shouldn't have to be that way but like yet it is <laughs> but that's yeah. a whole conversation for another time yeah so your water broke, you went to the hospital, you were laboring, you dilated the 10. And what happened when you started needing to push? What was that like? Um, well, I was hoping that my epidural wouldn't be so strong that it knocked out all sensation. Um, you know, they didn't necessarily do quote unquote walking epidurals, but I had expressed some interest in if possible, it being kind of I don't know, for lack of better terms, like a lighter dose so that I could still get some feedback in my body on, on when the contractions were happening. Like I was mentally okay with still feeling some pain because I really wanted that feedback. And unfortunately, just with how, how things went, like it, it did kind of knock out any and all feeling. There was kind of a sweet spot where, well, it was still taking effect where I could still feel the contraction but it wasn't necessarily that painful. It was manageable. And I was like, Oh, this is good. But then it continued to, you know, hit my system and it just eventually all went away. So, um, I was reliant upon the nurses, um, telling me when I was having a contraction and, um, when to push as opposed to like kind of being able to feel it come on myself. As the hours progressed though, I started to, uh, really try to tune in and see if I could notice any sort of nuanced things. I started to be able to pick up on really small cues. I also had my hands on my my belly so that I could kind of feel externally like when the contraction was happening. So I started to be able to kind of pick up on it and then confirm like with the nurses, you know, is this one, is this one starting? And then they would say yes, and we would push. So I made it clear that I wanted to change positions as much as possible, even with having the epidural. So I was kind of limited with 
how strong it was. Like I couldn't do hands and knees. I really couldn't move unassisted at all. Um, so I ended up pushing on my right side for maybe 20 minutes or so. Then to my back for the next 20 minutes, then to my left side for 20 minutes and kept rotating like that. We used like tug of war strategies to also help with the pushing, especially when I was on my back. I tried to, you know, exhale through my pushing as opposed to holding my breath. Um, And I I still, it was kind of a tight exhale, I suppose, that I was still semi-holding, but semi-letting go of my breath. And at about three hours of that. Three hours into pushing. Three hours of pushing like that. um, The doctor came in and kind of inquired, you know, it's been three hours. What's like, why do we not have more progress? Like, where's this baby at? And he had essentially been crowning and making some progress throughout those three hours. It wasn't like I was completely stalled out or anything like that, but clearly he wasn't moving far forward. And so the doctor observed me push through um, a contraction. And then during like the next contraction that I had, um, she helped to reposition him, kind of just tweaked the angle a little bit. And um, at that point, or shortly before she came in, I believe they did start Pitocin at that point. I had managed to, I kind of made it clear. I didn't, I didn't really want that that early on, but knew if it needed to happen, then I was open to it. So I did get Pitocin maybe the last hour or so of my pushing. So she came in, repositioned him and within 30 minutes, basically he was born. So he started to kind of come out really quickly after she just did that slight position change. And uh, she ended up actually having to leave the room because some other woman on the floor was having a baby like right then. So she needed to sprint away as soon as she repositioned him, which left me having a baby kind of coming out on his own. Like I really wasn't pushing, but the position was, I guess, so much better that it just, my body was kind of just pushing him out on its own without me trying. And uh, so a little uh, frantic for the nurses there, but essentially the doctor came back in just in the nick of time. And uh, I kind of just did one final push and that was that he came out yeah and then what was that moment like it felt like I could feel him coming out and and that was kind of unusual and I almost felt like my whole stomach deflated like it was <laughs> it was it was odd well, basically <laughs> yeah uh, but uh yeah I was able to do skin to skin and it was uh just kind of surreal yeah just to like have him there and like okay this is like this is it this is like the the moment yeah something that I think you kind of maybe imagine especially if you're pregnant or wanting to become a mom at some point um like maybe you kind of envision what that might be like so it's just it was a very surreal moment to be like okay like this is actually it happening right now um trying to be like mindful yeah while also being hopped up on I I feel like it's a weird like out-of-body experience but you're like trying so hard to be in your body and be present but I don't know it's just it's weird yeah weird now obviously I don't know what that would have been like had I had an unmedicated birth um but I felt more out of body when I was unmedicated like I feel like I lost hours of my life that I don't recall right and labor land yeah like I just remember making ungodly noises and (laughs) like 
yeah, and it, I, I know it was going on for several hours and I feel like I don't remember any of that. So yeah. I, I don't know what it would have been like if, if I wasn't, if I didn't have that epidural, like I, I feel like maybe that helps me be able to be more cognizant and present. I can't speak to what the flip side experience yeah. would be like, but um, it was a good plan for myself. And I'm overall happy with how um, the labor and delivery process went. Uh, it was as close to what I wanted and imagined as as possible, I think, which I had kind of accepted that it very likely would be very different than what I had mentally planned for. So, but yeah, it was a surreal, but good experience. Yeah, I think Desiree has done a good job of like, really keeping an open mind versus being rigid. So even though she likes to be organized and planning, she also understands really from a psychology perspective that like we are not in control. Like we can have great intentions and great information. We can be as informed as possible and we are just not totally in control. And this is a reminder for anyone listening that there's no best or right way to have a baby. All of that is so relative to the mom and the baby and just the variety of circumstances and choices. So listening to her story, like don't, uh, it's like, don't compare yourself. Just know that this was just part of her story and your story will likely be very different. And my story was certainly very different. I've talked about, um, talked about that with a little bit with Desiree, like, man, I'm glad I had to take one for the team just to make sure like you have hopefully gone into this feeling slightly more informed and of things to be aware of. Um, since I feel like my world just got so rocked with my first baby, you know, able to kind of set her up in slightly better ways, uh, than how I went into it. Yeah. There was a point in time when I was kind of stalled out with the pushing process Mm and, um, you know, that's when they were talking about the pros and cons of starting Pitocin at that point mm-hmm. in time, saying, you know, if it, you know, if he really doesn't kind of progress, then here's the the consequences of that here. And it could lead to a C-section. Right. Um, and I do remember having a little bit of like fear in that moment of like, oh no, I know. <laughs> even though I had, you know, fully known that that is a possibility of that day, yeah. um, there was still a moment where I was like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah um so you know luckily that it didn't go that way for me um but I know that it easily could have so right. yeah and then just for anybody listening that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing or a worse thing or worse outcome it's just an outcome and I really feel like that's something we have to work extremely hard to change the narrative around because um, I think a lot of athletes in particular and I see this a lot in you know, the community that I run where there's a lot of fear behind, well, I don't want to have a C-section, like worst case scenario kind of thought process. Like it's going to make your recovery so much harder or so much longer or really change your exercise routine. And to give some kind of peace of mind, I've worked with thousands of athletes who've had a variety of birth circumstances and uh, deliveries. And one birth method is not better than the other. And they both require you know, rehabilitation and they are significant physiological process processes. Like a vaginal birth does not mean an easier recovery and a C-section does not mean an easier recovery or more difficult recovery. And when we talk about birth stories like this, I try to really emphasize that because I know so many of you listening 
might have high expectations or might be trying to recover from your own physiological event and trying to make mental and emotional peace and processing with that. Well, and I point out that I had that moment of, of fear and anxiety when that was said to me, because, you know, despite my, you know, my mental acceptance of it, that doesn't mean that acceptance stays with you the whole time. Acceptance right. is a, a kind of fleeting mindset that easily wavers. And so, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you know, it's, it, it's totally normal and very human to to have one one sort of mindset and still have space mentally for the opposite and they can coexist without having to be just in one or the other like you can be accepting of it and still be fearful of it all at the same time 100 can you guys tell that she has her doctorate in psychology <laughs> and uh yeah she's a practicing psychologist and she works with people who have ptsd so she really understands the spectrum of managing expectations and what that looks like and i think that you said about acceptance being more fluid yes um is really key and something maybe all of us have to remember regardless of the circumstances yeah. <laughs> mental note <laughs> yeah, like you you don't really ever land on acceptance and stay there um it's something that you can have acceptance for 30 whole seconds before you're like but wait, that's not fair and that's not right. And it shouldn't be like this. And why is it like this? And falling back into a non-acceptance mindset. And so it's normal to have that process happen. And you just end up having to kind of notice that that thought process and, and switch it back if possible. Like if you kind of been practicing that or know how. Yeah. I'm sorry if you hear my baby, who's not even such a baby, scream crying in the background, of course, that the newborn is like chilling on a boob, yeah. not, not the one crying. Of course, it's my kids. <laughs> Always. Okay, so we got through delivery and those moments after birth. And so how's breastfeeding been going for you? It's a steep learning curve. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Um, I mean, I knew that it wouldn't be a walk in the park. Um, and I had also kind of prepared for things being really difficult, um, potentially me not being able to breastfeed or, or there being some significant issues with it early on. Um, so in that regard, it's been going better than what I had, you know, thought might, might be the case, but, um, it's Desiree not- saw me go through so much yeah. shit postpartum that I think I like accidentally traumatized slash informed her to the greatest extent of just what it could look like. (laughs) So sorry. Yep. Um, So, you know, it's been going smoother than my uh, catastrophizing images, I suppose, but uh, it's still been still a lot to learn. Um, So I've been trying to educate myself, you know, beforehand and, now that I, you know, I kind of also lost out on a little bit of time. I thought I had to continue to prepare myself. Like I, part of my grand plans on Monday, the day that I went into labor was to get my breast pump that afternoon and figure out how to work it and familiarize myself with it. And then I ended up going into labor instead. And I was like, shoot, I, like, well, I don't know how to do that. So, um, I've been trying to kind of take like a breastfeeding course online to familiarize myself a little bit more. I met with the lactation consultants twice while I was still in the hospital. And then my hospital has a really nice breastfeeding support um, 
like service basically. So there's a, mm-hmm. a phone line that's open seven days a week uh, for certain hours that you can call with general questions. And then they have Monday through Friday, like some walk-in times at the clinic that you can just go and meet um, with a lactation consultant. So I took advantage of that about a week after he was born. So like kind of a week of me, I guess six days technically of me trying to troubleshoot it the best I could um, and struggling. <laughs> like my nipples were definitely starting to get damaged and, and were, you know, they weren't too bad yet, but I knew that if I didn't correct something that I was going to be in for a world of even more hurt. And so I went, had an appointment, um, got some really good education and assistance. And so since then it's been going a lot better. Yeah. That's awesome. And this is just encouragement, like definitely reach out to a lactation consultant. Um, it can make a huge, huge, huge difference in, um, your nursing and finding a good practical routine for you. Um, I just, I know that helped me tremendously and I'm glad that Desiree had that, had that support too. And, you know, it's just, it's so funny being around her when she's nursing, like you don't unfeel that in your boobs. Like my boobs literally are like, Ooh, yeah, I remember how that feels when he, when they bite you or it's not a good latch or like when they're searching for the nipple and, oh my God, you just like, can't unsee that like big open mouth (laughs) and what your nipples look like. It's just wild. But sorry, as I'm like, st- <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm so glad that her nursing experience has been positive so far. And honestly, overall, again, like I, between my own two experiences and working with so many people during these seasons, Desiree is off to a very good start and I'm super relieved. Part of me is also like really jealous, like, damn it. I wish like I could have had a, like just a slightly less stressful, traumatic entry into motherhood. Cause this is just like, Hey, your baby's pretty chill. Your birth was like pretty good. Breastfeeding's going pretty well. Like, yeah. you know, we've like checked a lot of good boxes. Um, and that's not to say that shit's not going to be hard and that it already hasn't been hard. It is hard. Um, one scale that <laughs> I don't know if you guys heard that, but <laughs> baby noises, all of the noises. Um, one one scale that I'm going to keep using with Desiree is like, what number are you at today? And I don't even remember how we like described that, but basically, like on a scale one to ten, one you're at like your fucking lowest, like you just want to run away, um, and ten being like, man. I waited my whole life for this kind of like, I'm just so good right now. And like, where is she at? And like one day she was like at a seven, the next day she's like three or four, mm-hmm. you know, and that can fluctuate through the day um, at different hours throughout the night. Uh, your highs can be really great and your lows can be, can just kick your ass, but that's a good scale um, to use in conversation with friends and family members or clients that you're coaching is just kind of tell them like it's a good check-in point yeah and it's you know shifted as you mentioned kind of day by day I know that what is it like 80 percent of women have the baby blues in the first two weeks or so you're the um, psychologist yeah but yeah <laughs> I believe that is the stat yeah um and then you know a significant but albeit smaller percentage of women will you know go on to develop postpartum depression or anxiety so knowing how common it is just to have a range of emotions just from the adjustment 
phase of a very significant and stressful life event. Like that's going to mess with anybody's emotions, even if it's um, that you're adopting a child, totally, you know, or, or coming into some other stressful event, like moving, you know, all of those types of, of life stressors, you know, are going to have a rightful impact on your emotional health. Um, but then you add into it, you know, assuming that you delivered or a C-section, you know, you do have raging hormones afterwards. And so I've been experiencing the emotional roller coaster of that with a day that was just really shitty, that which had followed a night that was really shitty. So sleep deprivation is not helping. Um, but aside from that one day where it kind of lasted all day, I've still had like periods of time. Oftentimes I've noticed my pattern is where it's like the nighttime hours for whatever reason, feel like I get more emotional for, for quote unquote, no good reason. Um, I don't know if it's just something about that time of day with hormones, maybe, or maybe some anxiety about whatever the night will bring. Um, and kind of not knowing, is this going to be a a sleepless night completely, or is it going to be okay? And kind of worried about what it'll look like. Um, but yeah, I've noticed some more like easily fluctuating emotions and, I've been kind of writing it out by telling myself, I know that this is all normal. Like I know that there are valid reasons for feeling this way, even if it feels like it's not valid and that I don't know how I'll feel tomorrow. Yeah. I could feel different in some way tomorrow. And like, this is how I feel right now and it's normal and it's okay. You're so logical. I wanted to freaking just leave the house at night. I swear to God, like my, like, depression and rage and anxiety just like peaked I remember being like so like mad at like 2 a.m I was just like fucking mad yeah like I would yell at Jared I'd even be like what the fuck like to the baby even yeah. like with Kate like I just could not sort it out and I think for me it was the anxiety of like yeah it's bedtime but like what does that even mean anymore I'm not like going to bed I'm just gonna be like kind of sleeping and then just up off and on and there's no predictability and I just want to sleep and I can't sleep and it's so much responsibility because I'm the one with the boobs kind of thinking like it would just sort of spiral with those thoughts of that pressure plus the anxiety Mm -hmm. yeah and I think that all of those feelings you know have a rightful place and I kind of anticipate that at some point I'll feel that same way and I'll probably have those same thoughts I think it's it would be very impressive if if I never do, um, yeah. you know, I think that there's, there's a time and a place for those feelings. And I think it's really common. So, you know, I haven't been feeling that intensity right now, but that also doesn't mean that I won't. Yeah. Um, well, you are very logical and a lot more emotionally intelligent than I ever was. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, it's like, even when I was telling myself those sort of positive affirmations, <laughs> that doesn't mean that I felt better right then. <laughs> Um, you know, I still felt just as down or just as shitty, but it's, you know, it's trying to kind of see through that. So again, kind of balancing out these two opposites that can both be true. Like I can remind myself that this feeling won't last forever, that I can feel different tomorrow, um, that it's all part of this process right now and still feel really sad or anxious or stressed or whatever yeah man we're getting a dose of like birth story and therapy right now everyone this is good 
Well, let's shift the conversation into um, postpartum recovery, which is where she is starting. So I got here a couple days ago uh, when she was one week postpartum. And right now she's like, should I be doing anything? And I'm like, no, like right now is honestly just letting your body acclimate, rest, adjust. And we can slowly start introducing very basic, basic neuromuscular control kind of breathing exercises. So I wouldn't even call them physical exercises. It's more of her brain being able to reconnect to her vagina and her uh, her abdominal wall again, because both of those areas of her body have experienced a lot of change and her vagina has experienced some trauma. I don't think we mentioned that, but you have a couple stitches, right? Oh, you have, well, you had a second degree tear and yeah. a handful of stitches. Yeah. I don't know how many. It's yeah. Fine. If I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she'll be going to public floor PT very soon here, just like not for like an internal assessment, but just more so to have a conversation about her recovery and to, um, just get that assessment of like her, of what her tearing looks like and some things she can do to reconnect there. Um, but right now she's doing some breathing exercises on her back. She's working through the six moves for your first six weeks, like that ebook that I have. I will link that in the show notes here so you can work through that. Um, because it's really just that guide for your early weeks postpartum where you want to do something, but you're like not ready mentally or physically for exercise. Even if you think, even if your brain makes you think like, well, I should be walking more. I should be doing this. Or maybe I should just go to the garage and do some squats or like whatever. You're just not there yet. (laughs) Um, But we did start some of her movements today, mostly so I can see her move. And she's not currently having any symptoms, but knowing that she pushed for four hours, she had a vaginal birth. I'm much more, um, in her case, I'm much more cognizant of her pelvic floor than I am of her diastasis. Her diastasis looks really good right now. I'm not worried about tension. She also like babies grow the most in the last few weeks. And so fortunately for her, um, she didn't get that extra burst of, of uh, like where her belly like really expands and pops those last few weeks. Um, Cause that's what can really exaggerate that diastasis for a lot of different people. Um, and he was an eight pound baby at 37 weeks. So had she gone to 40 or 41 likely would have been a 10 ish plus pound baby. And that's a pretty much a guarantee of some stretched out connective tissue on the midline, um, and a diastasis, but she is, um, we are really cognizant of her pelvic health, making sure she's not doing too much too soon. And a lot of times we tend to think of that as being exercise related, but for her, it's like, I don't want you walking up and down the stairs a ton right now. You're still only a week postpartum, or I don't want you like lifting a lot of things. And look, I work with athletes. I consider myself to be an athlete. I know that we all roll our eyes at the don't lift over X amount of pounds piece of advice, but there's a time and place for that. And early postpartum, you just, you can avoid it. Just let your body like really heal um, so that we're not creating any potential of injury during an already very vulnerable time. So I know I kind of went on a coaching tangent here, but many of you listening to this will be postpartum or are postpartum. And that this really good thing to be aware of is that your pelvic health, um, you're just in a more vulnerable season early on postpartum, your first couple months postpartum, it's a vulnerable season. So give yourself every opportunity to heal, rest, adjust, and then rebuild your capacity slowly with some of that rehab movement. And then she'll be starting the 
eight-week postpartum athlete training program around the time that she's cleared, maybe a little bit earlier than that um, because I am working with her and I know her story extremely intimately, but that will help guide her honestly through you know her fourth trimester before she's returning to CrossFit, before she's getting back into things like that. So now that I've wrapped up that coaching tangent, how are you feeling about movement and um, rehab and exercise on the horizon? Well, I currently have no desire to exercise. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, even when you're having me do those like kind of quarter squats, it's not awesome. Yeah. So the most desirable thing right now just is to honestly like leave the house um, yeah. and like go for a walk or something, even if it's short. Partly, maybe that's just my desire to not be so cooped up like I've been for the last week or so. But, yeah, um, you know, I, it'll be nice to kind of get back into things, but I'm not currently feeling any sort of rush to want to do that right now. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you feel like you'll be okay with the patience part? As of today, I feel like I will be, but yeah. asking in three weeks and I might have a different answer, I guess. Yeah. It definitely changes because this will be for sure the longest time that I can remember that I will not be working out. Yeah. Um, you know, just being an athlete from childhood all the way up through college and, yeah, and then kind of even beyond that, like I, I don't really know if I've taken off a month or more yeah. from, from physical activity ever. Yeah. I mean, I possibly have, but it's been very limited in my lifetime. So you know, I likely will get antsy at some point. Yeah. I know. I think a lot of people, myself included, really were like, God, this is like such a setback. It's going to take me so long to like, feel like myself again or perform like myself again. And for me to be the psychologist for a minute, like it's such a great opportunity where we can really reframe it as like, man, my body, I've given my body a lot of rest. I've had the most recovery. I've treated it really well. And I have an opportunity to just like really like rebuild my foundation and the athletes I've worked with who have approached it that way, instead of rushing it are kicking ass right now. It's been really cool to see, um, this shift in culture and approach to postpartum and being like an athlete mom, where there is so much more buy-in now with people who are like, no, I, I don't have a desire to rush the process. I know that that can backfire. And we're not fueled as much by desperation. Now we have a lot more information and that's becoming more common. And it's really great to see. Like it just really is because that did not freaking exist before. Yeah. I don't know. Um, We've come a long way. That's for sure. So Desiree, we've talked about birth. We've talked about delivery, um, breastfeeding, postpartum recovery, your mental health. What are you most excited about now that he's here? I asked you that during our last episode. Um, I don't know. Just learning how to navigate being a mom and having that title. Um, yeah, it's kind of a new a new world, and it's nice that I'll be able to take time off of work that I that I will have. I know I'm pretty fortunate. A lot of them will be able to take the amount that I'm probably going to be taking. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to try to use that to its fullest and, um, and just get to know each other, get to yeah. figure out what we like to do together and how we function together. And yeah. 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 There is like an, a lot, a loss of identity and also like identity is so fluid that you just evolve into a new identity 
and an evolving, you know, version of yourself. And I think once again, there's a really good opportunity there. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly like very stable parts of your identity that, that never change or never really get taken away. Um, But then other, other aspects are fluid and continue to evolve or you gain new ones. And so yeah, figuring out this new one. Yeah. And on that note, he's finished nursing. He's going to make all his baby noises and uh, we will be doing a follow-up episode probably in a couple months or so to check in to see how they are both doing and progressing through this postpartum season. But thank you all for listening. Thank you for being part of this process. If you enjoyed this episode, did he just shit? Oh my God. We gotta go. (laughs) If you enjoyed this episode, especially on that note, Um, please rate it, please review it. It really helps um, it get out there into the world for people to find this messaging and information and resources again, so more people can feel like Desiree during this process and uh, less like I did, you know? And I think that that's really going to help so many other people. Um, If you are looking for a program, like she did the pregnant athlete training program through her pregnancy, we'll be starting the eight week postpartum athlete training program. Um, You can find those linked below in the show notes. And of course, on my website, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practice Brave podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and help us spread the work we are doing to improve the overall information and messaging in the fitness industry and beyond. Now, if you are pregnant and you are looking for a trustworthy exercise program to follow, I have you covered. The Pregnant Athlete Training Program is a well-rounded program for pregnancy with workouts for each week that are appropriate for your changing body. That's 36 weeks of workouts, three to four workouts each week, and tons of guidance on exercise strategy. We also have an at-home version of that program. If you are postpartum and you're looking for an exercise program to follow, the eight-week postpartum athlete training program would be a really great way to help bridge the gap between rehab and the fitness you actually want to do. From there, we have the Practice Brave Fitness Program, which is an ongoing strength conditioning program where you get new workouts each week and have a lot of guidance from myself and my co-coach, Heather Osby. This is the only way that I'm really offering ongoing coaching at this point in time. If you have ever considered becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach, I would love to have you join us. Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism is a self-paced online certification course that will up-level your coaching skills and help connect the dots between pelvic health and long-term athletic performance, especially during pregnancy and postpartum. Become who you needed and become who your online and local community needs by becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. Thank you again for listening to the Practice Brave podcast. I appreciate you. And please help me continue spreading this messaging, this information, and this work. Mm -hmm.